0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, welcome to Coastal, I'm Pastor Chris. Hey, thank you guys for tuning in and uh, joining us online to uh, week one of At The Movies. Uh, I am uh, Pastor Chris, and we're so great, uh, grateful to have you guys with us. Um, you know, over the years, this has definitely become uh, kind of a, a fan favorite, a favorite sermon series uh, tradition here at Coastal. We actually, give you a little uh, backstory of this series here at Coastal, we originally did this series back in uh, 2008, Yeah, a long time ago and then we brought the series back in 2011 and uh, we have done it every Summer since 14 years now. Every couple of years, we kind of think, "Ah, maybe we'll, you know, do something different. And then, but at the movies, the series uh, here in June, um, we have more guests that come during this series than any other time in any series collectively uh, that we will do during the year. So we keep doing it. Uh, Anybody here remember the very first movie you saw as a kid? Um, In fact, if you're watching online, maybe uh, leave us a little comment of the very first movie uh, that you remember seeing. Uh, One of the movies that I remember seeing uh, very early on as a kid, uh, believe it or not, was Bambi um, at the old Ultra Vision movie theater, uh, where Mose is now on Sam Rittenberg. Now I'm not as old as the original movie; it was actually re-released uh, in the mid '70s, and I remember seeing that. Um, I also remember the very first time uh, I saw the Wizard of Oz and uh, being freaked out by the flying monkeys. Um, I remember seeing Jaws uh, at the Pine Haven Movie Theater in North Charleston. And then honestly, I was afraid to go into the water all summer long at Folly Beach. Uh, By the way, don't let that keep you from getting baptized today. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But what a way to go, I mean, if, if a shark appears. No, anyway, how, how about, that's pretty bad. Um, how about drive-in movies? Anybody remember going to see a drive-in movie theater? Uh, anybody remember the drive-in movie on Rivers Avenue before they start showing porn? Okay, um, yeah. Now, the, you might not know this, uh, but our property right here. 460 Arlington Drive actually used to be a drive-in movie theater. In fact, before we built this building, seriously, this is true, before we built this building, you could still see the rolling hills uh, in the field here on on our property. But the reality is it's 2023, right? And, uh, you know, with uh, streaming services and large screens, TVs, you know, you really don't even have to leave your house anymore uh, to see a movie. Without a doubt, Uh, Our world today still has a love affair with the movies. In fact, I'll even go as far to say that our culture today gets a lot about what it believes about God, about spirituality, and about life from the movies they watch and the music that they listen to. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they get it right. You know, for the most part, I don't think they do, but through movies and music, the people in our world today are asking questions and raising issues. Now here's the good news, we have the answers. You know, we don't need to shrink back. But instead of just, you know, going to extremes like we typically do, instead of, you know, imitating the culture, condemning the culture, or maybe just ignoring it all why not be like Jesus? Why not engage the culture? That's exactly what Jesus did. John 3 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. Now, in fact, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing in Acts chapter 17. You might remember this story in Athens. He actually used their culture, you know, what he saw in the world. In fact, it was an altar to an unknown God. And he used that to preach about Jesus. to to point people to Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Acts that he was deeply troubled by what he saw. But he chose to use their culture, their world, their life, and point them to Jesus. He engaged the culture. So that's what we do with this series. Now, you might be deeply troubled by what you see in the world today. In fact, I think you should be. You might be deeply troubled by what you see in a particular movie. And again, instead of going to extremes, instead of either having no spiritual discernment, you know, and never being troubled by what you see, or the other extreme, just the opposite, you know, acting like the, you know, the stereotypical judgmental nut jobs that the world thinks that we are, why not be like Jesus? You know, why not engage the culture? Why not be willing to, you know, talk to people and just get a, a conversation going and, and, and point people to Christ? Now, I, I say this every year, but I, I want to I be clear, especially with those of you who are new to Coastal, do not mistake what we do during this series. You know, Pastor Chris and all the other pastors here, we're not going to come up here and preach from the movies themselves. We don't do that. You know, as always at Coastal, what we're going to do is we're going to open up the Word of God, we're going we're to talk about the truth, and we're going to point people to Jesus. Now, the six movies that we're using in this series, really, they're just hooks. That's all they are. They're just hooks to, you know, have a little bit of fun, to start the conversation, and uh, you know, get things going. In fact... This year's theme uh, for the six movies that we are using, sometimes we'll have kind of a little, uh, you know, undercurrent, a theme that kind of goes along with all the movies that we're using. Well, this year, uh, we decided to call this Movies with a Message. Movies with a Message. So, let's get started. T- today's movie, obviously, from the trailer and the, your outline in front of you, uh, is Jesus Revolution. Now, the reality is this movie is different from all the other movies that we've ever used in 14 years of doing this series. Now, it is different in that it is an overtly Christian movie, right? I mean, it's in the title, you know, Jesus Revolution. Now, in general, let me just explain. We basically have have really stayed away from using the stereotypical faith-based movie over the years. Let Let me explain why. Typically, They're not that good, (laughs) you know? You know, really, a lot of times, they're they're not. They're kind of like Hallmark B movies, you know, usually overly cheesy with some bad acting. Now, if you're a fan of Hallmark movies, then you might love them. But in general, we've kind of stayed away from them. But I will say, honestly, the main reason that we've stayed away from them is that most of your non-Christian, unchurched friends aren't watching them. They're not. But the crazy thing is, Jesus' revolution has been a little bit different. You know, if you if you look at the stats of the movie and the, the people who are going to see the movie, um, it's being watched by a lot of different people. Um, it's a pretty good movie. It's got some, you know... Uh, A-list actors in it, and surprisingly, again, a lot of people have seen the movie. For some, maybe it's just kind of you know historical in nature too. Maybe you grew up in the late 60s and the early 70s, and and you it just you know evokes something in you when you see the movie. It's actually based on the autobiographical book of the same name, and uh, it tells the true story of the Jesus movement during the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s here in America. Now, it tells the story of uh, Pastor Chuck Smith. uh, Some of you might know who that is. He started uh, the Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, It tells the story of uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, becomes a famous uh, evangelist. The story of Lonnie Frisbee, a stereotypical hippie from San Francisco who finds Jesus and just can't stop telling anybody he meets all about him. But it's more than their story. It really is. It's the story of an entire generation that that sparked a movement, a revival across our country and turned the world upside down. In fact, I want you to listen to this dialogue from the movie. Listen to this. There is an entire generation right now Searching for God. I know we must seem a little strange, but if you look a little deeper, and if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are just searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. I think that's what makes this movie so powerful because it just feels like that's where we're at. It does. It feels like, you know, we're at this breaking point and, and our nation today, in 2023, is primed for another move of God, for another revolution, for another revival. It kind of feels like there is an entire generation today, an entire group of young people who are searching, searching for meaning, searching for something, searching for significance. They just don't know that it's actually God that they're looking for. And they're searching in all the wrong places. So here's what I'd like us to do today as we kick off this series. I want us to look in the book of Acts, in the Bible, in the New Testament, and I want us to see what sparked the original Jesus revolution. The original Jesus revolution. Now think about this for a moment. The very first Christians 2,000 years ago, they didn't have any of the things that you and I have today as far as like, you know, marketing or advertising goes. They didn't have invite cards, you know, Christian, they didn't have a t-shirt that says, don't just go to church, be the church, right? They didn't have social media, yard signs, billboards. They didn't have mega churches with celebrity pastors and these huge television ministries. They didn't have big, beautiful buildings to bring all their friends to every weekend. They didn't have the technology of the internet to broadcast their service to the masses, and yet, amazingly, listen to these verses really quickly. Acts 2, 41, we read, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 47, and each day, the Lord was added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Not every week, not every month, but every single day People were giving their lives to Jesus. Acts 5, 41, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts chapter six, verse one, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, uh, verse seven, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Let me ask you, obviously, do you see the common denominator in all those verses, I mean, you don't have to look very far into the book of Acts to discover that the early church exploded with growth. Exploded. They became very large, very fast. And remember, all of that, all of it took place without the benefit of the internet, smartphones, or cars. There were no no Bible colleges or seminaries or even church buildings for that matter. I mean, they did not have a fraction a fraction of the tools that we have today. And yet, they turned the world upside down for Jesus. They they sparked a revolution that changed the world forever. How? How did it happen? You know, what was it that enabled the early church not just to endure, but to grow and thrive And change the world. That's what I want us to talk about today. What sparked the revolution? Now there are a lot of contributing factors, many sparks to that revolution. But today i got time to talk about just two. So you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, the spark of repentance. The spark of repentance. And I think these are two sparks that we don't think about very often. In fact, go back to Acts chapter 2. So historically, this is on the the day of Pentecost, okay? also called the Festival of Harvest. It's held 50 days after Passover, 10 days after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so all of the believers there are gathered in Jerusalem for this kind of international gathering of Jewish people. And again, verse 41 tells us that 3,000 believers were added that day. And remember, verse 47 says that the Lord was adding to their number daily. Wow. And again, though, the question we need to ask ourselves is, okay, so what led to that, though? What preceded it? What sparked, you know, this Jesus revolution? So, to answer that, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. Let's just go back a little bit and see what preceded it. Again, the believers are gathered together in Jerusalem with Jews from, from every nation. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God, remember who we talked about last week, had descended upon this gathering of believers like a wind, like a fire, and miraculously they all began, the believers began speaking in other languages. The Bible says, sharing the wonders of God with these foreigners, each in their own language. Now, it became such a huge uproar that people nearby heard all the commotion and they come to see what's happening. And they're astonished. I mean, they're blown away that these, you know, uneducated, hick Jewish believers from Galilee are all now speaking all these different languages, not their own. The only explanation that they could come up with was that they were drunk, okay, I don't know about you, but like, I don't drink, but I'm I'm pretty sure most of you, when you drink, you don't start speaking in other languages. Well, I don't know, maybe something, but not your own. That's what happened, okay? Now, then Peter, now you gotta get this. Peter, the same Peter who had earlier denied Jesus and cursed his name during Jesus' arrest. The same, you know, the same Peter, who turned tail and ran during the crucifixion. This Peter stands up in front of everybody with boldness, and he delivers the very first gospel sermon. He basically said this, these people aren't drunk. No, not at all. This is exactly what God said would happen throughout Scripture. He is pouring his Holy Spirit on his people and anyone, anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then, so that there's no confusion, Peter proceeds to tell them exactly who the Lord is. He says, it is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one you saw with your very own eyes for years, for three years, do signs and wonders and miracles and teach and feed and lead. He says it was all a part of God's great rescue plan from the very beginning. And you know it. You know it. And yet, with the help of evil men, you, he was pointing, I'm sure, you, you, each one of you, you know what you did with the help of evil men? You crucified him. You put him to a cross. You nailed him. You hung him between earth and heaven. But death could not hold him. And our God raised him from the dead. Just like your prophets and your patriarchs had prophesied would happen. And guess what? All of you. All of you were witnesses to it. You saw him. You saw him after the resurrection. You saw him with your own eyes. And now that Jesus, he has returned to heaven. He has been exalted to the right hand of God, and now our God is pouring out his spirit on his people. Verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The man Jesus that you killed was God in the flesh, he was the anointed one, the promised Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of all lords, and now he rules in power with the Father over all creation. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? How should we respond? What do we do now? You see, here's the deal. The gospel now has been powerfully proclaimed. The people in this this gathering, they are convicted of their sin. And so they, they cry out to Peter, Peter, you're right. You're right, we did it. We crucified Jesus. We put him on that cross. What hope do we have? What should we do? And let me tell you something. That is still the same cry today when the gospel has been proclaimed. Because I put Jesus on that cross. It was my sin. It was yours. It was yours. You, you, me, we did it. So what should we do? What is our response? Peter says in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. By the way, who's, who's he talking about there? There who are those who are far off. Listen, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. What did Peter tell them to do? What was the spark? It's the proclamation of the gospel. In response, he says, repent. I know sometimes we just kind of you know, dismiss that word because, oh, that's just an old you know, churchy term that you see on a, on a billboard somewhere in the backwoods. No, 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 no. It is straight from the word of God. What does it mean? It means that it's time to humbly bow the knee. It means to surrender. It means pour your heart out to a holy God and just admit what you know to be true, that you're a sinner, and then you ask him. You beg him humbly for forgiveness, and then you turn away. You turn away from your sin. You turn away from self-ruled life, and you turn toward God, and you go home. Listen, that's repentance. That's what genuine repentance looks like. And then he says this, listen to this. Prove it. I mean, he was calling these guys into account. Prove it. Be baptized. Hey, prove that Jesus really is the Lord of your life. That that he now calls the shots in your life. In fact, you do the very thing that Jesus did when he submitted to the will of the Father. Jesus did it, he commands it, and that should settle it. Show the world. Go public. Show the world that you really are his follower by following in his footsteps and be baptized. Guess what, Coastal? You ready for this? 40 people this afternoon at five o'clock are getting baptized out at Folly Beach. 40. So here's what I wanna say to some of you today, and you need to hear this. Join them. Join them. Let me just ask, I'm gonna ask just like Peter, have you humbly turned from your sin and turned toward God? I didn't ask if you're perfect. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. I ask you, did you put your faith in the only one who ever was perfect? Now prove it. Prove it. Prove that he is your Lord. Jesus did it, he commands it, and that should settle it. What are you waiting on? One of the evidences of our salvation is our obedience. Our obedience doesn't save us, but it's evidence of it. If you've not been baptized yet as a believer, not something that was done to you as a child that you had nothing to do with, that you don't remember, but have you done it? Let me tell you something, it sparked a revolution. And it's still a spark today. In fact, what was the result? What happened? Verse 41, those who accepted his message, those who repented, those who knew that they had crucified Jesus, and those who were willing to claim him as Lord, it says, accepted the message and were baptized. Baptism always follows belief. It does, all through scripture. And listen to this, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That sparked a revolution. A bold, unashamed proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is King. He is Lord. He came as a man. He went to the cross for your sin. He paid the price you couldn't pay. He was crucified, put in a grave, and three days later, he proved he was who he said he was all the time. He came back from the dead. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And then a heartfelt repentance. You're right. It was my sin that put him on that cross. And it led to a faithful obedience, starting with baptism. That's a spark. Let's look at another one. Number two, another one you might not think about, the spark of resistance. The spark of resistance. Again, Chapter six opens with the following, in those days the number of disciples was increasing. Again, it's this all throughout Acts, you see this example after example of the rapid expansion and explosion of the early church. But I think we need to ask in each instance, okay, what preceded it? What sparked it? So here in chapter 6, of course, we got to go back to chapter 5. The apostles are there. They're ministering in power. People are miraculously being healed. Crowds of people from all over the towns of Jerusalem are coming. And, I, I mean, it sounds like a revival has broken out. But then comes the resistance. The high priest had the apostles and the followers of Jesus arrested and thrown in jail. And then verse 19 tells us that during the night, an angel of the Lord shows up, opens the doors, and and led them out. The very next day, guess what? They're back at it again, teaching in the temple about Jesus. They are arrested again and brought before the Jewish ruling council. Verse 33 tells us that the members of the council are so upset that they wanted to kill them. But in verse verse 34, a man named Gamaliel, uh, who was a respected teacher and leader, intervenes. So he's wise enough to recognize, well, if this movement is just of human origin, eventually it's going to fizzle out. But if it's truly from God, not only would they not be able to stop it, but they'd find themselves fighting against God. So instead of executing them, verse 40 tells us that they were severely beaten and ordered not to continue to teach about Jesus. Again, more resistance, more resistance. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were stripped and publicly flogged for your faith? So that's what happened to these guys. They were threatened, beaten, banned from speaking about Jesus. And after all that, They had enough, they threw in the towel, and they went back to being fishermen. Not at all. That's not what happened. Look at at chapter five, verses 41 and 42. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, I love this. Two things you'll notice they did. Rejoicing, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace, for the name. I love that. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, here's the other thing they did. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. They rejoiced and they kept on teaching. Don't you see? That's what sparked the revolution. They were persecuted. They were persecuted for their faith and they stood strong. Resistance. Second Timothy three twelve. In fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some, not pastors, not most. Who? What's it say? Everyone. You know where he got that from? Jesus. Matthew five ten. Jesus said, "Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness." for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John 15, 18, Jesus said, hey, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. Coastal. Listen to me. When Christianity becomes illegal, how far are you willing to go to take a stand and share your faith? And if you're thinking, oh, come on, PC, that's a little over the top, is it? Have been paying attention to the rising tide of religious intolerance that's taking place right here in the United States? You can be, you know, you can tolerate everything in this world today except for followers of Jesus. You know, in a country founded on religious freedom where Christians are now being called, you know, every name in the book, bigots and homophobes simply because we hold to a traditional view of marriage and sexuality? How long will it be before we face being sued, fined, or worse simply before standing up in a pulpit and saying that our gender is determined by biology and birth? See, I just want to remind you, don't be surprised when you encounter resistance because of your faith. And by the way, standing firm in your faith doesn't mean shouting and arguing with people on social media. It means speaking the truth in love. Loving people, serving people, in spite of their beliefs, in spite of their anger or their hatred. You know what it means? It means living out your faith no matter what it costs you. And it always means these two things. Rejoicing and telling people about Jesus. If you're not rejoicing and telling people about Jesus, I don't care what you're doing, you're not standing firm for your faith. 1 Peter four twelve. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, there it is, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, You're blessed for the spirit of glory and God rest on you. You see, not only should we expect resistance, but that resistance, that insult, that suffering, it should encourage Christians. It means we're blessed. I I just want you to hear this today. Every revival, every move of God from the early church here in the book of Acts to the Reformation, to the Great Awakening, to the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s and to the glimpses that I think we are beginning to see today was sparked always with a bold proclamation of the gospel, with repentance and baptism and persecution. What about you? Have you responded to the gospel? Have you turned away from your sin and humbly turned toward God? And have you followed in the footsteps of Jesus and proven it by being baptized? And will you stand firm when resistance comes, loving and telling people about Jesus, all the while rejoicing? That's a Jesus revolution. Come home today. Be a part of the move of God here at Coastal and here in our community. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I just thank you. I thank you for the early church. I thank you for, I thank you for Jesus and, and the move that you sparked here in the book of Acts through. The gospel, repentance, baptism, obedience, resistance. Father, thank you for those who came before us who were faithful and kept rejoicing in the midst of it, kept telling people about Jesus no matter what. Father, may you find us faithful today. May you spark something great here in our midst today. God, we, we, we humbly want to be a part of it. And maybe you're here today and you've not yet Just cried out, God, what what do I do? What do you want from me? Repent and be baptized. Come home, believe, bow the knee, and then prove your allegiance. Prove that Jesus is your Lord by willing to do whatever he asks you to do. The first step is baptism. Join us today. Father, thank you. May, May Coastal be the church that you've called us to be. May we be a part of the Jesus revolution. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church Have a blessed day